This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Welcome everybody to episode three of Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. Nick and I are here and uh, I think there's something you want to talk about. Oh, Sarah, you do not understand how excited I am. I've been waiting, I don't know, eight, nine years for this again. My Penguins, the hockey team I adore, I love, I cherish, they are one win away for getting that Stanley Cup, the prize trophy of hockey. So when is that next game? It's tonight. Wow. It's tonight. I got to leave here. I got to go home, get all my gear on, and uh, get ready to watch the game. I got all like, your gear. Oh, it, what kind you, of gear do you no, have? You do not understand. I have like my own little. <laughs> Is traditions. it a onesie? A penguin's onesie? No, no, I got blankets. I got underwear. I got shorts. Oh, I got shirts. I got that mini sticks. I got hats. I got jerseys. Depends if they're home, if they're away, <laughs> what color I use. Oh, it's crazy. You should, yeah, it's it's not good. I, I think I got a disease. <laughs> is it game six, game seven? It is game number five. Oh, game Penguins five. Penguins are up 3-1 in the series. Yeah. Um, so if we do win this today, it's going to be the first time they win the Stanley Cup at home. You're going to have to apologize to the listeners that are fans of the other team, which would be... San Jose Sharks. <laughs> but... Right now, Nick is really pushing for the Penguins to win. I definitely am. Well, I want to talk about, so I don't know what happened, but you, last week you, I your had... Your voice. What, what was going on with this voice? I had a bit of a sore throat. I don't know. I've had this thing. It's been hot here. It's been cold here. And I think I've just had this like thing going on. And I had a really sore throat. Or actually, it wasn't too bad, but it was a sore throat. And it sort of lasted all last week, right? And then I went to a doubleheader of baseball, and I get a little little bit more involved than the average person. So I do yell a lot, but it's a lot of encouragement. It's very motivating yelling. <laughs> it's very encouraging. And on Friday morning, I woke up and had no voice. Now, when you're at these baseball games, you ever yell at the opposing team? No. No, so you're only yelling good things for your own team. Yes. Okay. That's okay, right. And no. I'm calling plays and stuff because I'm the catcher, yeah. so I'm calling no, plays no, and stuff like, like that. Me, so, I would be yelling bad things about the other team. That's just who I am. So, I would be like, no, this is my team. We're winning. So I lost my voice Friday morning, okay? It continued into Saturday. And, of course, we had a street barbecue going on that night. So I had to go to the grocery store and I had to buy some... Stuff for the barbecue, and I'm standing in the aisle trying to talk to the guy at the grocery store about what I needed to find, and he couldn't hear me. And, and what were you looking for, Sarah? Well, I was looking for gluten-free buns, right? Because, you know, buns. some people, you know, okay. need to have, you know, the gluten-free, gluten-free stuff, yeah, okay? Yeah. Oh. So I'm literally trying to yell, but I can't yell because I've lost my voice. So my husband comes down the hall, sees me trying to talk to this guy, and the guy really not understanding what I'm trying to say, and he yells out, gluten-free! She wants gluten-free! So all weekend, my husband was my interpreter. 
Thank God he's a nice man. I know. Wow. I know, I, but the poor God guy. He speaks like, English. Most people were like, oh, your husband must be so thankful that you lost your voice because then you're quiet. But no, he had to interpret every time I tried to talk to somebody all weekend. So anyway, my voice still isn't 100%, but I pretty much got it back on Tuesday. Now, do, you, do you make him eat the gluten-free buns too? No, no. No? no okay, that's, that's very nice of you because <laughs> I, I don't know if I would want to eat a gluten-free bun. It just seems... They're not bad. They're I, not bad. I understand like zero carb and stuff. Just once in a while you need that like regular bread, no? Mm, well, anyways, we'll talk about that on another episode. So I've heard a lot around here about this Fitboard, and I believe that I first saw this thing on Shark Tank. So are you a part of this, you know, group that's getting on the bandwagon of this Fitboard, and what is a Fitboard? Actually, Sarah, Fitboard's a simple concept. It looks like a skateboard with no wheels. It's kind of bent up in the front. And actually here at Ice Corp, where I work, um, we have a little group that gets together at lunch. And we just have a, like a little ten-minute uh, course to promote like exercise and healthy healthiness in in the workplace. That's great because we all we all need that around here. But I think that was a really great segue into our sponsor. So let's hear from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ice Corp, the one source, one solution, one company for all your supply chain needs. Visit them at icecorp.ca. That's i c e c o r p dot c a. So earlier today, we got to interview Steve Robinson from Robinson Distribution, and we were talking about the Internet of Things and how it affects the supply chain. It was, I thought it was a great conversation, and I really think that our listeners are going to get so much from this interview. We talked about um, artificial intelligence. We talked about supply chain being connected and integrated locally and how risk management is going to be crucial to the future of uh, supply chain management. We talked about uh, barcodes, RFIDs. Um, We talked about automation, optimization. What else did we talk about? Where it's going to be in the next 10 years, where it was 10 years ago. Steve was a very insightful person to speak with. Today, we are really excited to have Steve Robinson from Robinson Distribution with us on the show to talk about the Internet of Things and how it affects the supply chain. Steve Robinson has been leading and building world-class global supply chain teams for multinational Fortune 500 companies for over 20 years. Most recently, Steve led Starbucks Global Supply Chain Center of Operation Excellence as Vice President and is well-known as one of the significant contributors to Walmart supply chain success. His vision and creativity powered the Walmart supply chain transformation during the company's critical expansion into the grocery industry. And he later led all logistics initiatives in support of Walmart's international expansion into Germany, Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, China, and Korea. His experience also includes exposure to industry-leading replenishment and inventory management, product strategies for supply chain software and technology providers, and years as an advisor and coach. Steve possesses a unique 360-degree view, making him one of the most informed and in-demand leaders in global supply chain. 
Wow, Steve, that, that is quite the impressive resume. Before we get into our topic today about the Internet of Things and how it will affect the supply chain, can you tell us a little bit more about your supply chain experience at Walmart and Starbucks? Uh, absolutely, and thank you, uh, Sarah and uh, Nick, for uh, having me on the show today. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed because I, I've had uh, the opportunity to work with world-class supply chain teams driven from just the purest and most, uh, you know, focused uh, desire to provide the right product in the right place, you know, for, uh, you know, for the customer. So I saw it both at Walmart and uh, at Starbucks. Both businesses are very customer-centric, are very dependent on ensuring that at the moment of truth, when a customer walks into a Walmart store and reaches, you know, for a product on the shelf or walks into a Starbucks store and uh, requests the barista prepare their favorite drink, that, that the products are there or all the components to formulate that particular cup of pleasure uh, is there readily available. And that really comes from a, a kind of a, a, an embedded understanding at the highest levels of leadership in both companies that supply chain isn't just a necessary evil, but a fundamental part of creating success with the customer. Walmart was phenomenal. During the years that I spent there, our supply chain was a uh, you know, uh, an equal partner at the table with our store operations, merchandising, uh, and IT group, because the business really understood that Walmart as a, as a brand was really sort of a conduit that uh, other brand manufacturers would use to flow their products seamlessly to the end consumer. And they attempted to create a supply chain that would allow companies like Procter & Gamble or, uh, you know, companies like Unilever, brands like Samsung, you know, Sony, to deliver their products seamlessly to that customer without a lot of friction. And so, you know, my supply chain experience at Walmart was really all about creating a platform, which we did collectively at a team, that could scale and grow and deliver that promise in every country, in every channel, in every market that uh, Walmart would do business in. It was uh, a study of how important the details were. You know, for instance, at uh, you know at Walmart, when we were looking at uh, at cost drivers. We didn't just look at dollars. We would actually look at cents. We would look at two or three decimal points deep and analyzing uh, a cost or efficiency metric because at their scale, those numbers really matter. It was very much a distribution intense business and getting the details right around inventory selection, understanding inventory turns, understanding the cost involved with providing the service was really core to um, to managing the business at Walmart. Yeah, absolutely. Supply chain is a huge part of businesses, and you can see from Walmart that they really do supply chain really, really well. So let's get into the topic for today. Um, We're talking about the Internet of Things and how it's going to affect supply chain. So I'm going to start off with the definition of the Internet of Things. I mean, it's a term that we're hearing more and more. So the definition is a proposed development of the Internet in which everyday objects have network connectivity allowing them to send and receive data. And we're seeing more and more of this in supply chain. I mean, got different aspects of the supply chain that are getting more streamlined and more technology being built into the different aspects. I'm going to just go into one of the questions that I have for you. So 
on our on our infograph and in some of the research that we've done on the Internet of Things, Cisco suggests that the Internet of Things will generate $1.9 trillion in the supply chain industry. So I'm just wondering, Steve, where do you see that coming from and why? The change that uh, will come about as a result of uh, increased adoption in the Internet of Things will be pervasive. Uh, and, uh, and, and it will be, uh, you know, in many uh, analysts, you know, opinion, it will be ubiquitous. So it will affect developing the next generation of uh, almost every type of uh, device. Everyday device, whether it's a ceiling fan, uh, a refrigerator, you know, an ink pen, uh, a vehicle, all devices will immediately be eligible for an upgrade where that device can, you know, now be, you know, uh, embedded with smart switches and smart controllers that would be receptive to sending and receiving information via the connectivity provided through uh, Internet of Things. So think in terms of almost every mundane device in your household now suddenly being available for an upgrade to make it smarter, okay? So uh, think across the consumer space, an entire retooling of uh, all the consumer goods that we've been accustomed to that have historically been dormant uh, are now available for an upgrade. So, you know, certainly uh, consumer goods, devices, switches. There'll be new software uh, and, and new mobile applications available so that you can actually interact seamlessly with the different devices that have suddenly become uh, awakened uh, and enabled. This will create sort of that next generation of infrastructure where data uh, you know, data packets now uh, will have to really handle this infusion of uh, a significant amount of data. What we saw with with the transitions from barcodes to uh, RFID mm-hmm. is that, you know, many uh, supply chain systems, operating systems, order and inventory management systems that were written with a certain amount of real estate that could handle, for instance, nine digits uh, in a particular field now has to be retuned to handle even more digits to sort of synthesize the bits and the bytes that represent the unique identities of all of these different uh, devices. You know, much of the software that we've been accustomed to, uh, to running in support of our core business operations will immediately be available for an upgrade or a replacement. You know, everyday infrastructure could be a signpost, could be a bridge, the railroad would additionally be potentially subject to a re-implementation, a rebuild, a replacement. And then certainly, as we think about GPS-enabled beacons and other tracking mechanisms that can be peripherally placed on the pallet. So the impact, in short, will ripple through almost every aspect of things that we see, use, and touch in our everyday everyday world. And then there'll be a significant amount of consulting. There will be additional financing vehicles. There'll be really a very significant overall available for uh, almost every aspect of commerce as the Internet of Things, you know, again, really gains adoption. Steve, I I got a question for you. The last uh, 10 years, or 15 years, I guess, the Internet of Things, the Internet in general, has grown tremendously. It was almost obsolete until the early 90s, and now it's everything's kind of Internet-driven. What do you think are the the biggest changes that will be coming of the Internet in the next 10 years or so? So, uh, you know, 
I think biggest changes will, will be potentially some additional partitioning. We've already seen in recent years the availability of new URLs that are very specific. They may be functionally specific, abc.marketing, abc.finance, mm-hmm. abc.legal. They may be partitioned by an industry focus, abc.realestate.pharmacy.automotive, uh, but there'll be an increased level of partitioning and specificity as communities of interest and communities of practice begin to sort of find each other and receive and share information about very specific things. And now with this explosion of foot via the Internet of Things, you'll see more and more practice groups evolving around the ecosystems that will be created as more liquidity. And I'll use that term you know, several times as more liquidity is created by buyers, sellers, consultants and, and other participants in the new marketplaces that will come about as a result of the Internet of Things. Overall, uh, the Internet will require more bandwidth as it begins to specialize more as well as incorporate interest groups for all of the new constituencies that will come about as a result of this, this new environment that we call the Internet of Things. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I haven't ever really thought about it that way, but I guess we could possibly see down the road, you know, dot logistics and dot supply chain and dot trucking and yeah. dot warehousing. Dot banking. <laughs> um, yeah, so another another question that, that I've had and, and in some of the research, the research that we've done, so 94% of businesses have seen a return on their Internet of Things investment. Where do you see that investment within supply chain? Where do you see that happening? Is it through the RFID that you mentioned previously? And I know you mentioned there's kind of two parts to this question. You talked a lot about the data. And so with the Internet of Things and and the fact that all of these objects are going to be emitting data and, and companies are going to be inundated with this data from all these objects, you know, I also wonder, is it too much information? What are the expectations and how are they going to manage that data? So I guess that's kind of like a, a two or three part question for you, Steve. But anyways, I think it's important for our listeners and I'd really like to get your opinion on that. No, it's a, you know, it's a great question. And uh, you know, I think that uh, the answer to that will continue to evolve. In the short run, I'll use retailing, for instance, as it would apply to a Walmart and or Starbucks. Inventory accuracy improvements are significant and that there still is a significant amount of inventory that's purchased that actually doesn't make its way into a sale. So inventory accuracy, getting the right inventory at the right place and the right amounts and being highly responsive to the match of, you know, kind of supply and demand will continue to fuel ROI for the short run. And in addition, what we would call an order out of stock uh, decline. So reducing, you know, order out of stocks and missed sales opportunities when they present themselves. Uh, Additionally, there's a significant amount of inefficiency that still exists within our supply chains. We still have trucks that run from point A to point B that are less than 100% utilized. We still have product that moves from manufacturing to market and incorporate a significant number of non-productive miles 
in route to getting to uh, final uh, destination. But we, we still have labor parts where, uh, or distribution parts where multiple companies have their own silo distribution center. They may not have 40 hours of productive work for their captured labor staff, and so you know, they're offering 40 hours less but another organization two doors down may be paying overtime or exhausting their available labor pool. So, uh, you know, making the buildings more efficient, making the labor that's been captured and the assets captured more effective, fully utilizing trucking miles that, you know, where 100% of those miles have been paid for, however, the utilization, uh, you know, has been significantly less than 100%. Having three trucks deliver to three different storefronts on the same block within the same 15-minute period of time, and they all came to that block, uh, you know, partially full, and they all left uh, without being fully utilized. So there'll be a significant opportunity in the short term to reclaim excess capacity and generate efficiency. So I think that, again, not just in generating revenues uh, and, and capturing sales opportunities, but making inventories and capacities more effective and efficient is going to be, I think, uh, a gold mine for the earlier the early adopters that are able to really focus their investment in, in smart ways to drive uh, ROI. As it relates to the data, the, the data will capture and data storage uh, will continue to create challenges uh, for uh, for most companies looking now to incorporate all of this new data and all of the new timelines into their supply chain operations for a couple of reasons. You know, first, we, we already talked about most conventional systems just really don't have the technical infrastructure to incorporate, you know, all of the new data and all the new representations that, uh, you know, that, that pallets and cases and items and all the information around the movement of those will need to digest. So there'll be a data storage and capture problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Additionally, until there is sort of a, a ubiquitous standards, companies will find themselves with many different types of data in different types of systems, and they'll need those systems to operate their new Internet of, Internet of Things initiatives, but they won't be able to abandon their legacy systems. And, and we saw this with barcode, okay? Uh, it, it, it took almost 30 years for barcodes to get uh, accepted. And in 20, you know, it took 20 years for RFID to get real traction uh, in retail. Uh, however, today, there are very, very few, less than 5% of the organizations uh, have actually been able to move totally away from barcodes to RFID. So they're still you know, have one foot within sort of the physical barcode uh, standards world, and, and maybe they dip the toe or, or you know, into uh, the world of RFID. So they're maintaining separate sort of infrastructures and business processes and technologies uh, uh, around those capabilities. We'll see the same thing with with the Internet of uh, with the Internet of Things. Yeah, those are great. I didn't realize that it took uh, 30 years for barcoding and 20 years for RFID, and and, pe- and companies are still actually utilizing both. Yeah, yeah. Adoption, uh, adoption is uh, adoption is slow. Yeah, and then you add data on top of that, and all of the data mining, and and companies are going to have to sort of sort through all of the data that they're receiving. 
and really try to utilize the important information that's going to help them move forward in their business. But I, I think you hit it right on the head when you said that when you when you kept talking about efficiency, because the data, the companies that are going to be able to get the data right and really get the data mining um, done well so that they are getting the information that they absolutely need to stay efficient. I I think they're the ones that are going to, they're the ones that are going to win out. So the the good news is that uh, there are other very significant trends that are occurring in the market as it relates to uh, companies ability to, uh, you know, sort of get, keep and, and grow their capability to manage big data. Uh, you know, machine learning is uh, is here. It is a reality. And organizations that have been successful in capturing both data scientists that understand how to secure and parse the data and, and, and matching them with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, broad-based machine learning capabilities uh, incorporated within their hardware and their software uh, are going to have a leg up. And organizations that are experimenting with artificial intelligence, uh, yeah. which is... Uh, if nothing else, you know, purely the ability to parse a significant amount of data uh, and draw inferences and understand connectivities uh, within data, data elements to drive logical decisions. So machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data uh, are all converging, and they will need to converge for organizations to really realize the promise of, that the Internet of Things, uh, you, know, you know, really holds force in the marketplace. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it that uh, companies are really going to have to invest heavily in the next couple of years in technology and, uh, you know, mining that data. So I really appreciate your perspective, uh, your perspective on this. You, you've brought a lot to the table here. So we're going to get into some some questions that we generally ask our guests and uh, our viewers really want to know the information to. So we're just going to get into the next seg- segment, if that's okay with you, Steve. Great. Okay. So the first question is, where do you see supply chain in the next five to 10 years? Where, where do you see it going? Do you, what do you see as the challenges? Well, you know, I really think that we talked uh, a lot about uh, supply chain. I think supply chain for the last 25 years has been, you know, significantly focused on uh, uh, connecting suppliers uh, with, uh, with manufacturers and then connecting that value chain in meaningful ways uh, to distributors and uh, and customers, so so we'll continue to see we'll continue to see those challenges. However, uh, there's been billions invested in uh, supply chain technologies over the last 20 years that have really helped with the automation and the optimization uh, in those areas. But you know, looking you know looking forward, it'll be as important for organizations to have the ability to move information, move and synthesize data as it is to move product. And and so, again, you know, this data uh, management mastery uh, will continue to be at the forefront uh, of supply chains. And and now that supply chains are connected globally and uh, and integrated globally, uh, you know, risk management will continue to be one of the primary challenges of supply chain practitioners, you know, over the next uh, five years. And so, you know, I I like to call it VUCA. Uh, The world will continue to be more volatile. The world will continue to be more uncertain. There will continue to be a progression in complexity. And all of that will lend to sort of greater ambiguity. 
So VUCA will continue to be, you know, sort of the challenges that supply chain practitioners are, are forced with. Uh, you know, I can see a number of things uh, that have already, be, you know, been occurring, continue to occur. Uh, outsourced logistics, I believe, will continue to grow at an accelerated rate, and uh, it'll be driving, uh, you know, even more industry consolidation across third-party providers. Uh, organizations will continue to seek to variableize, uh, you know, assets that have historically been captured, and that might be a distribution center complex that we've had as a standalone. We now may need to think more importantly about potentially sharing that uh, with other businesses. They could be non-competing businesses or competing businesses, but I see assets continuing to be variableized in response to the pressure on P&Ls and balance sheets. You know, I talked earlier about kind of this emerging liquidity in the labor market, call it sort of a Uberization uh, of the labor market where, you know, individuals will begin to take more control around, um, you know, their workspace and their, and their chosen job. I can actually see supply chain logistics workers working for company A during the day and, uh, and working, you know, for company B, uh, who might be a competitor uh, for a few hours on assignment, you know, later in the afternoon. Uh, so I, I really think that, you know, we're going to see this this new rise in sort of self-directed work missions, you know, within uh, within the supply chain. I think supply chain value chains will become a reality, and so we'll, we'll start seeing more companies operate as not as a company, but as a connected group of companies in a network, you know, sort of a supply chain cooperative where they share assets, where they share labor, where they share facilities, where they share information uh, so as to you know, arrive at efficiencies that no one company could get to. I know there were some examples in the marketplace of years, you know, a few years ago, uh, one of my former employees, Transplace, worked with uh, sort of a, a floor tile company, I, I won't name the name, uh, and another organization, a, a company that was importing heavy, dense porcelain tiles uh, from Asia to uh, here to North America. And the containers were typically, you know, were weighted out but they weren't consuming all the cube, and they were able to put that distributor together with another organization that had light, fluffy, high cube products and consolidate those two companies' products on containers in Asia and allow them to arrive here in the U.S. as one consolidated container where they would actually deconsolidate and do sort of last mile, uh, last mile distribution. Right. You know, those have been by accident, uh, but I think moving forward, you know, companies will continue to find each other, facilitated through 3PLs, and, and those efficiencies uh, you know, will continue to happen. Uh, omni-channel and customer centricity, driven by companies like Walmart uh, and, uh, and Amazon, uh, will, will really sort of set the bar in changing the expectation that uh, consumers have uh, as it relates to the, the selection, the experience, uh, the convenience, and, and even the price of goods that are, uh, that are flowing the market. And we've sort of seen those trends slowly evolving over the last few years, but they will uh, continue to uh, accelerate. One of the things that I think is very interesting you know, will be the emergence of what uh, people are calling the physical internet. Uh, and uh, so the physical internet uh, is sort of a global initiative uh, where uh, think tank leaders and supply chain uh, leaders are, are really coming together 
to rethink the physical infrastructure that we use so as to better capture, you know, opportunities. What if instead of being thousands of different sizes of packages and pallets and pallet configurations, what if there was a standard set of, of package and pallet type configurations that everyone adhered to, you know, sort of similar to uh, the way you have to, you know, adhere to standards uh, in order for you to display, uh, you know, and uh, retrieve information via the internet. Uh, but what if there was a physical internet that held everyone to certain sets of standards, certain protocols, certain policy approaches? You know, we could really sort of put together more efficient and effective logistics for many industries. And so this concept of the physical internet and the physical internet initiative is really designed to kind of explore and champion the development uh, of a whole new set of standards. And, and I think, again, uh, it'll be supported both by third parties, but also uh, by leading supply chain companies that have a vested, uh, vested interest. All right, Steve, I got two quick questions for you here. What do you think CEOs look for or companies look for in supply chain talent? Great question. I think that certainly at the forefront, they're looking for leaders that can build teams and manage people. So leaders with an inner kind of an influential leadership style. They're certainly looking for operational excellence, uh, Nick. So you know, you know, folks that have had the uh, the experience managing operating assets through periods of, of high growth and or uh, of high change. I think they're looking for a certain temperament that allows the leadership uh, to work with the team in a collaborative way. They're not necessarily looking for people that can get the right results. They're really more interested in how those results were gained. So again, I think they're looking for you know folks that have the right temperament. I believe there's a technical savvy that's required. Individuals that have been uh, have led or have been a part of a major technology project, um, because you know, as we all know, supply chain management is change management. Uh, so, a system selection and/or systems uh, implementation. Of course, you know there will always be a premium in the market for you know individuals of uh, of high integrity that are are really principled. And, uh, and so lead uh, with their uh, with their values. Uh, and, and then I close that uh, they're also looking for people that have you know have a broader business understanding that really understands how that particular business model creates ROIC and generates EBITDA for the business. Because again, there are still areas, believe it or not, where the executives managing the company don't really understand supply chain. We've We've used a lot of words and we've kept a lot of mystery around it, but they need to uh, understand supply chain challenges and opportunities using the standard language of the business. So supply chain executives that can really understand EBITDA, ROIC, and other financial metrics uh, are, are important uh, you know, faculties that um, supply chain talent needs to bring to the table. Great. Um, those are those are really good, really good points. I mean, we, we see that all the time. So um, one last question for you, and then we're going to wrap this up. So what top companies are you following with regards to supply chain and their operations? I mean, the obvious ones are probably Walmart and Starbucks, but are there other companies that you're following? Yeah, I, I'd say I think Amazon's just rewriting the book and doubling and tripling down on how far they can use their supply chain prowess 
to really not just disrupt existing industries, uh, but to really sort of create uh, you know whole new markets. So Amazon, which I would call as a you know a vertically integrated 3PL, is clearly uh, at the top of that list. Uh, I also you know look at Alibaba, and Alibaba has just done a phenomenal job of connecting buyers and sellers, and are starting now to sort of fill in the blanks with other pieces, uh, whether it's you know Alibaba pay or their logistics initiatives, but I'd say Alibaba is another company that uh, is sort of really creating sort of the um, supply chain superhighway of the future. I continue to look to companies like uh, Apple uh, and and what Apple uh, has done creating and driving demand uh, and then fulfilling it very quickly is, uh, is a company that I look to. They support scalable growth and continuous improvements in efficiency uh, like, uh, you know, like no other. Yeah, it's it's uh, really interesting because I was I was looking on uh, I was actually on LinkedIn a little bit earlier today, and I saw an article about Walmart being six to nine months away from using drones to actually check their warehouse inventory. Is sure. that is that you know true? Like, are we almost at that point where we're going to be using drones to check inventory? I want to operate that drone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it, you know, it's one of those critically important functions within a warehouse where we know there's a direct correlation between the frequency and the accuracy of your cycle counts in the warehouse, and ultimately your ability to fulfill demand, particularly dynamically. Uh, when you start thinking that y- your ability to do post receipt dynamic allocation of your inventory is really based on absolute confirmation of the availability and the location of that inventory. Yet your ability to take inventory has all the limitations of kind of physically people and scheduling. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, reaching the, the, the topmost tier of a warehouse rack and your ability to kind of do that continuously and incrementally gives you a significant uh, leg up in your inventory accuracy and thus your entire supply chain capability to respond and deliver. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's very much there. You know, Amazon does many of those things today with their robots. And so I see it as a natural progression. In fact, low-hanging fruit for Walmart. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, this whole subject and, and topic on, on the Internet of Things and, yeah, different things that are going to be happening. You know, te- technology that's constantly changing now is just going to change exponentially in the future. So I want to say thank you um, to you, Steve, for coming on the show and really giving us a really good perspective on on all things, you know, supply chain and all things Internet of Things. And and I think our viewers or our listeners are are really going to find the information very valuable. Yes, Steve, I'd like to thank you too. And you were very knowledgeable about all our questions we had to to get fulfilled and stuff. And um, good luck in the future, and we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. And thank thank the two of you, and uh, thank Icecorp. All right. Thank you, Steve. Have a great day. So on our next episode, we are talking all things logistics um, in regards to RFP and RFQs. So request for proposal, request for quote with Alex Fletcher 
owner of the Fletcher Supply Chain Group. I first met Alex while working on an RFP he designed and executed for a large client, and I was intrigued by the organization and execution of that RFP and thought this would be a great subject for our audience. Before we get into the acronym of the day, I just want to remind our listeners that if you have any questions or you'd like us to answer any acronyms, uh, please email us at listener at the number two Babes Talk Supply Chain dot com. So what's our acronym of the day, Nick? Our acronym of the day is C O T D. Complete and on time delivery. Customer service measurements where delivery of goods must be on time to meet this criteria. That's a good one. Yeah. Really good one. It is, isn't it? So let's remind our audience. Remember everyone, ship happens. <laughs>